time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to go to our webpage. We're streaming live at nationalprayerchapel.com. You're also welcome to shoot me an email at pastorray at nationalprayerchapel.com or our telephone number here in studio, 877-534-0780. If this is your first day listening, we're reading from the book The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It was first published in 1678. It is considered by many scholars through the years to be the finest of allegories written in the English language. This book has been a bestseller next to the Bible for centuries. We're reading from a book that was edited by C.J. Lovick and published by Crossway Publishers, We're reading it by permission because it is copyrighted material. I welcome today in the studio with me Pastor Jim Kerwin from the Finest of Wheat Teaching Fellowship. Jim, we're glad you're with us again. It's always a blessing to be here. If you go to nationalprayerchapel.com, you'll see there that there are podcasts that are done by Pastor Jim. Uh, We have blogs, we have videos, we have many resources, and we invite you to go there. They're all free of charge. You're welcome to, to use them in your journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Literally, the title of the book is The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which is to Come. The heart that we bring to this broadcast is to help you in this journey toward heaven. To do that, we lift up Jesus Christ. Bunyan's allegory takes this man graceless as he begins to read the word and discover that all of the world is going to be destroyed by fire, and it's going to be destroyed because of sin. And he falls more and more deeply into conviction to a point that he cannot sleep. He is groaning because he sees the true condition of his heart. And he sees the true condition of the, of the, of the city of destruction. And, and I want to say today, if you want to take the blinders off your eyes, just look at the news and see that the dollar is crashing, that the markets are falling, that the jobs are disappearing, that many are being forced out of their homes, homelessness is increasing at a rapid rate. The world as we know it is ending. We are at the point of the coming of Jesus Christ in final victorious glory. You don't have to go to those that 
New York Magazine used to point out with the beard and the long robes and the joke carrying the sign, the world is ending. Now Bloomberg says the world is ending, and the Wall Street Journal says the world is ending. On every hand, we see conflict ready to break out on the Korean Peninsula, in Iran. We see it in the South China Sea, where we are right on the brink of a war between the Philippines, Japan, America versus China. There have never been so many hot spots. We are not five minutes from the end of the world. We are at the end of the world. Now, if you can get past the yet comfortable life you may be living in America where you think you will not be touched, it's time to read the scriptures and see the reality of the city of destruction in which you dwell, and it's time to flee to Jesus. It's time to deal with your sin, to stop drinking the Kool-Aid from the modern church that says, if you've said, I accept Jesus, and I've said a little prayer, then I'm saved, and I'm on my way to heaven in the midst of my sin. No, you're not. The scriptures are absolutely clear. You cannot be in Jesus and in sin at the same time. That's a deception sent from the heart of the devil to entrap those who would follow after Jesus. As we shared yesterday, there is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. And when you are in him, you are freed from all sin. You're not matured. Your infirmities are not removed, but all rebellion against God, all voluntary sin against God, and by the way, all sin is voluntary. All sin is a choice. You don't fall into sin. You choose to jump into sin. So today we're going to talk about Christian, as he was named after being named graceless. After he was named graceless, he was named Christian. You remember faithful, his companion, died, was executed as a martyr in Vanity Fair. And out of that testimony, hopeful joined together with Christian and they journeyed on together toward the celestial city. And then they came to this very difficult part of the road, and they decided instead of traveling in that place, they would take a walk up over the fence, and they would walk in a pleasant bypath, bypath meadows, And then it grew dark. The rain began to fall. They began to be in crisis. They were on the giant despair's ground. They were on the devil's ground. He took them captive. He threw them in the dungeon. They were tortured. They were beaten. They were denied food and water until finally they lay on that cold, wet stone floor at the point of death. And that's when Giant Despair, at his wife's recommendation, her name is Distrust, came and said, why don't you just commit suicide? Kill yourself. 
you'd be better off dead than alive. And I know many of you, as you have walked this walk, there have been those points in your life, as there has been in mine, where I have said, this is utterly hopeless. My life is worthless. It might as well end. Now, I would not kill myself, but I could certainly wish myself dead. And according to Jesus, wishing myself dead is the same as killing myself and becoming a murderer. This is where they were in this dark and and wicked place. So let's pick up the story on page 165 in the chapter entitled Prisoners of Despair. Now when night had fallen and when distrust and her husband had gone to bed, they resumed their conversation about the prisoners. The old giant wondered why he could not by his blows or his counsel bring Christian and hopeful to an end. His wife replied, I fear that they live in hope that someone will come to rescue them, or perhaps they have picklocks hidden by which they hope to escape. Pastor Jim, what do you think about picklocks? Well, as we'll see, she's more accurate than she realizes. Uh, distrust, giant despair in ways they represent the enemy. And the enemy knows, even if you feel completely bound, that you're a captive and you've been beaten like Christian and Hopeful have been, he knows what you don't know, that you have a way out. That's so important. I want to say it again. If you have been beaten and you're in that dungeon by your own sin, by your own choosing, you have given yourself to darkness, and now you are utterly bound, you are beaten, you are at the point of giving up. The devil still knows there is a way of escape for you. You do have a picklock in your pocket. Let's go on. Do you think so, my dear? asked the giant. I will search them in the morning. Around midnight, Christian and Hopeful began to pray and continued till almost the break of day. That's the first step in deliverance, isn't it? Amen. They begin to pray. Before this, they were spending their time lamenting, moaning, groaning, talking together about how miserable life was and how they should just end it, and Hopeful is saying, no, we need to trust God. But there was little trust in their hearts. They saw no avenue of escape. And so their time passed not in conversation that was constructive or helpful. Rather, they passed their time in moaning and groaning, And I fear that many of you have spent your time in complaints and accusations against God 
or perhaps you've spent your time escaping into some kind of worldly pleasure, and frankly, some of you escape into sports, or you escape into the television, or you escape into the Internet, or you escape into the video games where you veg out or you numb yourself because you can't face the pain of the spiritual reality of your heart. And there is a hunger in your spirit for darkness. All of that begins to break when you begin to pray. When you begin to say, Lord, Lord Jesus, I haven't done anything right. I've been wrong. I'm asking for your deliverance. I'm asking now for the sun to shine. I'm asking for a ray of light that will guide me out of this prison. So the next sentence in the story says, Shortly before the sun came up, good Christian, as one half amazed, broke out in this passionate speech. What a fool I am to lie in a stinking dungeon when I might instead walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that I believe will open any lock in Doubting Castle. Hopeful responded, That is good news, good brother. Take it out. Let's try it. And Christian pulled it out of his bosom and began trying to unlock the dungeon door. The door's bolts, as he turned the key, came loose, and the door flew open with ease. Christian and Hopeful both came out. Then Christian went to the outer door that leads into the castle yard, and with his key opened that door also. After that he went to the iron gate, for that also had to be opened. And though that lock was very hard, the key still opened it. When they thrust open the gate to make a speedy escape, but that gate, as it opened, made a loud creaking noise that awakened giant despair. He rose hastily to pursue his prisoners, but just then suffered another of his fits, which made his limbs fail and ended his pursuit. Then Christian and Hopeful pressed on eagerly and came to the king's highway where they were safe because they were on, they were out of giant despair's jurisdiction. Jim, what do you make of this promise held in their bosom? <laughs> there comes a time, even when you're held captive by despair, even when you're in Doubting Castle, where if you will call on the Lord in sincerity, true confession and repentance, there comes a quickening by the Holy Spirit of hope and faith and a, a promise from the Lord that begins to lead you out of where you are. And notice when this happens. It's right just before the dawn breaks. That's the darkest part of the night. Always just before the dawn is the darkest time. And it's in that darkest time when God brings that promise 
and the light begins to dawn in our hearts, and we rise up with courage and say, I don't have to stay here. I can stand on God's word, and I can walk free. You have a scripture. When I was reading this passage in Pilgrim's Progress about the promise that Christian pulled from his bosom, I couldn't help thinking of Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is a scripture passage that I point people to that are having a difficult time with depression, doubt. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is that the emotions recorded here are real, not just in Psalm 77, but throughout the Psalm. I mean, if somebody is depressed, they let God know about it. If they're ecstatic, they let God know about it. If they're troubled with doubts and fears, they let God know about it, but they don't try to cover it up with some kind of spiritual-sounding language. Let me read. I don't know if I'll read the whole psalm, but let me read a part of it. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remembered God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Here's a fellow who's pretty low. Listen to the questions he asks. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious, or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, It is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. He's about as low in his prison as Christian and hopeful were. And then, like Christian, he remembers. He remembers the Lord. He remembers what God has done. And the whole psalm changes from a minor key to a major one. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your works. Notice the change there. He was talking about God in the third person. And then there in the middle of verse 11, he begins to talk to God in the second person. That is, he's addressing God directly. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our great God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And then he harks back to the exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The waters also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock, 
by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And the implication is right through the middle of the Red Sea. And that's basically what's happening here to Christian and hopeful with that key of promise that they found as they focus back on the Lord as a result of their time of prayer, just like the Red Sea parting, the doors begin to open in that prison, the inner one, the middle one, the outer one. And just like Peter walking out of the prison the night before his execution, which if you think in terms of Jewish time, with the Jewish day starting at sunset, then it was just hours on the same day before his execution, he walks out behind the angel and finds himself free. What do you make of the of the promise that he found in his bosom? What was the promise? The promise was, I will never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't actually say what it is. I think in everybody's case, the word that the Lord speaks, the, the hope that he gives is different, but it's specially tailored to you in your situation. It's a word that you hear and you know it's your beloved speaking. You know that God is reaching out and giving you a chance to escape. And there are many promises in the scripture. Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's that comprehension suddenly that in the midst of my darkness, God is with me and has not deserted me, and faith begins to rise up. But it all centers around that certainty that knowing in my spirit that God has not deserted me. And I want to tell you today, if you're caught in this prison, God has not deserted you. There is no sin that you can commit against the Most High. There's no sin against Jesus that you can commit that his blood will not forgive. There is no Wrong action, mistake, that he cannot clean up the mess from. God is a God of mercy and grace. He will not leave you in the midst of your sin. He'll draw you out of it. He'll deliver you. Now, our phone number is 877-534-0780. Let me give you that number again, 877-534-0780. If you know you are in that dungeon and you'd like us to pray with you today, we would be happy to do that. If you have been delivered from that dungeon and have found the promise of God in your bosom and you have risen up, and your Red Sea has parted, we would like to hear that as an encouragement to those who are still in the dungeon and are feeling hopeless. So I'm going to ask our producer to play that song again, that Scott Wesley Brown song that I love so much, And Then the Red Sea Parted.
Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer as they cried. Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Lord. And then the Red Sea parted, for now there was a way to enter in rejoice.
Are you at a Red Sea in your life? Are you at a place where you need God to show up and deliver you? Have you been in that dungeon of despair, beat up, cast down? Are you in a place where you need once more to remember what God has said in the past and what he has done for you in the past? You know he has been faithful to you. You know that he has loved you. But now because of circumstances, you feel like you don't have a chance and you need that Red Sea to part for you. If that's where you're at, call 877-534-0780 and let's talk about it and let us pray for you. Or... If your Red Sea has parted and you've walked in victory across it, then call and share. That testimony will mean much to someone else. Hi, welcome. What would you like to share? Hi there, Ray. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I put my my little precious mommy in a home over two years ago, and um, it just uh, went downhill from there, and I... Uh, you know, never brought her home to her comfortable room with her stuffed animals, you know. And, and um, you know, I'm, it's been a year uh, coming up on anniversary date, just like you have an anniversary date for your little wife. Yes. And so anyhow, um, I'm in a big, big-time rut, you know, with medical bills looming, et cetera. And um, I love the Lord, and I'm worshiping with uh, Messianic believers over here in Maryland, and I'm glad about that. And, uh, but I'm struggling. I'm low, and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. What is the struggle for you? Um, the pain that I did the wrong thing, and I didn't, I wasn't sluggard and didn't try harder to bring her home. Yes. That's the pain and regret that uh, she just went in for a checkup, you know, for what I thought might have been a stroke in it was just like a TIA, but then in the medical system, you know, they medicate and so forth, and then she fell. And and then she couldn't come home. I couldn't get it together anymore. Yes. I couldn't get it to, It was back and forth from the hospital to the home, finding a more suitable home, and I just feel like she, she just really would strangle me if I had done that to her. You know, yes. she had her strength. I, I think she would strangle me, and I'd be glad that she did. But I thought I was trying to catch a TIA, and she would get, I mean, a stroke, if whatever it was, and she would get medication, you know, yes. and it wouldn't have been too bad, and she would have been able to come home. But instead, you know, it just got have, worse and worse and worse. Have you prayed this through? Well, I guess not really. Yeah, I guess not really. 
at some point, you're going to have to get down on your face before God. And you're going to have to tell him exactly what you feel. He's big enough. He can handle it. Yeah. Right. And then you're going to have to ask him to forgive you. And I know he already has. Well, Mom's picture is painted by her brother at the top of the steps in the townhouse, and I just always ask her to ask, forgive me and ask Jesus to be interceding for me again, you know. But then there's another part. Yeah. Can you forgive yourself? Right. Right. And then there's another part. Did you really do what you thought was best for her? At that moment, yeah, but I, I, I really have second thoughts about it. At that moment, yes. See, it's those second thoughts that bite us. And I, I tell you honestly, I've struggled also with that. When my wife was dying of cancer, I took care of her hour by hour. I was there 24 hours a day. Yes. I became so exhausted I could not even lift my head up. Right, I know. You know what it is to be a caregiver. Yes, for years. They both lived to be almost 93. Since 2003, I've come up from the South. Yes. And you wonder, is there even room for me to live? Right, right. And and I wish I could just die. Well, there's no advocate advocate for me in the healthcare system. So, no. you know, I never want to go in. The only advocate you have is Jesus. That's right. And he is your advocate. Right. And he's faithful, just like in Pilgrim's Progress. He's faithful. I want to read a scripture to you, may I? Sure. It's found in Micah, the seventh chapter, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. Okay. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Right. I, as my wife was dying, I lived in Micah 7. Uh-huh. That was my new covenant promise that God had not forsaken me. Right. And all the second thoughts come. Why didn't we discover the cancer sooner? Right. Why didn't I take other actions? Right. And all those questions could drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. Because I loved her. Of course. Just like you love yours. So what are we to do? I have to get up in the morning and face another day, and so do you. Right, right, and I'm doing such a poor job. Well, you know what? I think you're doing a wonderful job. Well... I think you're doing a wonderful job because as a caregiver, just to get up and greet a new day is a wonderful thing. Yep, it was straining just like you experienced, and I didn't even have her underfoot. You know, that last year and, and, and three-fourths of a year. Right? No, but you were constantly going to where she was. Oh, I was constantly going. That was worse than having her home, fighting Absolutely. her for good care. Fighting Absol- all the time for decent care for her. Yes. Cleaning her up and fighting for good care. Yes. You know, holding her, anointing her, praying with her. Yes. Giving her communion. Praise yes. God, I did have that time. 
Yes. Praise God, I had that time. Yes. And that part I got right. You did. I hugged her. The, I hugged her neck a lot. It was the most important part. My sister didn't show up because she had cancer. But I hugged her and I was so glad I did. Until hospice came and then she was kind of limp. It was harder to hug her. Yes, because yeah. they gave her medications. I, I approved it. I proved that she was dying. Yes. And that was hard, too. Yes. To give him the green light to kill her. Yes. That was really hard. Help me with the pronunciation of your name. Erlette. Dad was Earl. He oh. was a baker in Washington, D.C. for 26 years. Okay, so you're named after him, and you're Earlette. Yep. Earlette, could we pray with you? Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for your ministry. I think it's so wonderful. You're welcome. At first I thought it was unusual, but now now I see how it's all shaping up. It's You're speaking a, the way it's going to, you know, it, the, the way it's coming down now. Yes. You're speaking the way it's going to happen. I knew it in my spirit, but who wants to face it? I know. How tough it'll be. I know. Yeah. But he's going to carry us through. Yeah. Because we're on the King's Highway. Yeah. And I want to make certain today that the giant despair is slain in your life. And I want to ask Jesus to do that. Okay. And is that Micah 7? You started with the first verse, sir? Yes. No, Micah 7, verse 7. Oh. And, and read all the way to the end. Okay, 7-7. Seven, seven. Yes. All, all the way through verse 20. Burlette, this is Pastor Jim. Uh-huh. I want to share something as well, because this whole matter of second-guessing, going back and saying, what if, what if, what right. if. Right. Um, it, it can consume us in situations exactly. like this. The Lord showed me something once that was so helpful in this regard. When we stand before him, the thing that as lovers of Jesus, the thing we most want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Yes. (laughs) But listen to what he's actually saying when that comes out. He's not saying, perfectly done, Erlet, because there's only one who can do everything perfectly. Right. And so it should be sufficient for us to hear from Jesus, well done. Right. You can go back and say, well, if only I had, if only I had. You were there, you made the, the, the best decision you could make at the time, and if you hear from Jesus, well done, that's all that will matter. Mm-hmm. Jim, will you pray right now that she will hear that? Hmm. Thank you for that, Pastor Jim. And then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Erlette. Thank you that she walked obedient to you, obedient to the commandment that says, honor your father and your mother. Thank you that she was there for her and with her, serving her and loving her to the end. Yes. And Lord, even before, long before, Erlet walks into your presence, I ask that she might hear from you in her heart Well done. We don't need to hear perfectly done, Lord. All we want to hear is well done. Yes, God, thank you. Give her that peace. 
And I ask Jesus that now, by your mighty power, that this giant of despair and accusation could be could be killed, could be ended. His power would cease to hold Erlat in its grip. I'm asking, Lord, for the Spirit of the living God to come and anoint her now, releasing her from her captivity, that light would begin to dawn in her soul with a certainty that she did her very loving best. Mm -hmm. Even if it was not the right decision, it was still a decision done out of love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And that is what you treasure, Jesus. So I ask now that you begin to shine the light of your glory into her heart, giving her relief and raising her up because there are others now who need the love that no one was there to give her. Yes. And Lord, I ask that you make her a fountain of kindness and love and compassion for others now who walk the same path but in the darkness. Would you make Earlette a light of glory in ministry to the grieving? Mm -hmm. Lord, thank you for her wonderful heart. Lord, if I were dying, I would want someone like her to take care of me. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for her compassion and her love, and I pray your blessing now, the blessing of the Holy Spirit and the brilliance of your presence. In the name of Jesus. In, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Earlette, thank you. Thank you. Thank Please. you so much for caring and being compassionate. As the light of Jesus grows in your heart and the peace comes, would you call back and share that? Right. Okay. I will. Thanks again for your ministry. It's really it's really a, a, enlightening so many people, I'll tell you. Thank you, Earlette. Okay. God bless you. God bless you now, both Earlette. of you. Are you in that same place that Earlette was? Are you in some way held captive by this giant despair? And today you want to be delivered. You want to be set free. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. And Earlette, I know you're still listening. I want to tell you, The reason we come and do this broadcast is for dear sisters and brothers like you who love Jesus and who are in the same path we're on, that path toward the celestial city, that we might help one another in the journey and encourage one another on the path and admonish one another in the straight and narrow way with kindness and with mercy. That's where our heart is. That's why we're here. So thank you for being so bold and so vulnerable. I know it meant much to those who are listening. If you, one other thing. Right? Go ahead. One other thing. Erlet, I'm sure that over the years you have prayed and asked the Lord to draw you closer to him and to use you as he would. And I want to share a scripture that you probably read before and have a nodding acquaintance with, but maybe it will show you the direction that God is taking you. And it goes along the line with what Pastor Ray 
was just sharing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And there's a reason for that, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. We have time for more calls, 877-534-0780. And while we wait for you to call, I'm going to ask our producer to play uh, St. Jude's Benediction for Earlette. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our
I want to go back to that passage of Scripture in Micah, the seventh chapter, and walk a bit in it. But as for me, this is Micah 7, 7. I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And part of what I want to say is that there are times in my life when I sit in darkness and I have not sinned against God. I sit in darkness because I can't see the path. I can't see a way out. Now I have a choice. Now I can turn to giant despair. Now I can turn to his sister-in-law accusation or his wife distrust. Or I can turn and lift up my hands unto the Lord with absolute confidence in the, in the midst of the darkness when I see no path forward, and I can confess before God, I will watch in hope for the Lord, and I will wait for you, God my Savior. My God will hear me. And I stand with my hands lifted up, and I wait on him. I don't know how to take a step forward. I don't know how to take a step backward. I'm caught in a trap. It was not a trap of my making. It was a trap designed by darkness. There is no sin in walking in that kind of darkness. It comes upon all of God's children. Pastor Jim, have you walked like this in darkness at times? Yes, not in sin, but as you say, coming to a place where you don't know where to go, which end is up, and what God wants. And all you can do is lift up your hands to the Lord and say, I'm here, Lord, you know where I'm here, where I am, and just please show me the way, and then to wait on him. And it, it has meant for me having to take a very deliberate and strong position that says, I will not be drug to the dungeon of the giant despair. I will not go there. And the way I prevent myself from being dragged there is I spend time reading the Scriptures. I spend time in prayer confessing the name of Jesus and praising and worshiping him. And I find a brother or sister who will pray with me. Amen. Sounds like a good prescription. That's that's how I have prevented myself from being dragged constantly to despair and beaten up by distrust. Well, we don't have very much time left in this broadcast, but I want to thank you today for listening. You're welcome to go to nationalprayerchapel.com. 